Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to episode one of the High and Mighty Hikes podcast. This is my first episode of the podcast and wanted to introduce myself and give you a little of my backstory and journey. This is our first podcast, so if you're one of the three people I've asked to listen to this, thank you very much for doing so. Not really going to take up too much time with this one, just going to set my intention with what the podcast is. We're going to give it a year, going to try and put out at least one a week, so that'll be around 50 or so this year. We'll just have to see. Got plenty of time now in the winter, but once the spring comes around, generally get pretty busy around the Moab area. So my goal is to have at least 40 by the end of 2018. I um, want it to be an extension of what I'm doing with uh, live streaming, with a couple of the books that I'm currently writing, and just talking about the outdoors. Definitely going to be having some guests. I'm a big, big fan of the Long Form Conversation podcast. I think, in my opinion, and he got his ideas from somewhere, but Joe Rogan Experience I've been listening to since almost the beginning. I think before it was even officially the Joe Rogan experience I was listening. And I just love how that guy has so many varied interests. He's definitely got some expertise in a few areas, but he can have it from just all over. You know, what I know is the outdoors. And, you know, if this goes somewhere and some people enjoy talking to me, we'll take it in a few different areas. But I, like everybody else, has very varied interest. My main interest is the outdoors, which is what I'm all about. Um, And just to give a little background on myself for those that don't know me, my name is Micah Hatcher. I am a Florida native from Northwest Florida, a little town called Mariana, just outside Tallahassee. I am in Castle Valley, Utah now, um, which is just outside Moab, up River Road, where a town... It's a town, we have no commerce, there's one bed and breakfast, and a few people own businesses that live in the town, but there's, it's just a small community of about 350 people in a very, very picturesque valley. Um, it's the view to our east is Castleton Tower and Perriot Mesa, Dobe Mesa, Sister Superior Towers, which John Ford called the uh, Little Monument Valley. It's pretty been featured in many, many John Wayne movies, lots of westerns, most recently Westworld. It is the view of the southwest. Very, very beautiful place right at the base of the LaSalle Mountains to the northern part of that. And just love it here. We are currently trying to simplify our lives. We're going to go full Road Warrior coming up. That's our intention anyway. So hopefully by the summer, we're living out of a pull-behind trailer and going to try working in some other areas of Utah, Southern Colorado, Northern New Mexico. And that kind of takes me into who and what I am, or what I do, not so much what I am. I'm still trying to figure that out myself, like most of us are. But what I do, I am a backcountry guide here in the Moab area, specializing in hikes, arches, canyonlands. What I enjoy doing in my style of hiking, I like to call technical hiking, where I like to get up on rims. I like to hike up big elevation changes and get on the edge of cliffs where the view's best. That's what I like to do. Anytime I ever went hiking, my favorite part was always the approach. I really enjoy actually doing big approaches, hiking up to towers and uh, taking in the view instead of, you know, that's where the journey's starting for some people, where they scale the towers. But professionally, 
Where it all came about is my friend Mac, his girlfriend at the time, owns a local bed and breakfast, and the guest would always ask him to take him out hiking. Well, after doing that for a couple of years, he got in a situation where he had a job change. He had been hired by these guests staying at the local bed and breakfast, and after a couple of years of just going out and doing that, he decided he didn't want to work in a restaurant anymore, and he went and pulled the permits and got the insurance and Hike Moab was born. He primarily did it in the beginning, but whenever he was on his tours, he asked me if I would. I honestly, looking back on it, didn't really think much of it, but I was like, sure, man, you're going to pay me to go hiking? No problem. So I got my first aid and CPR cert, the required things to have, and we started. That's been, I think we're going into our fourth season. So that was about three years ago. What I didn't know at the time, that that was going to change the trajectory of my life. I didn't know that I was going to enjoy it as much as I do. Now, when people ask me what I do, instead of saying, oh, well, I was a sommelier and hospitality professional and I've worked in that industry because I was those things. I've been a sommelier for a number of years, worked under a master sommelier and was high-end resort hospitality, the general manager of a place that did, I'm not going to go into the numbers figures, but it was as far as you can go in the hospitality industry, I pretty much did. Being from Florida, that's, you know, tourism is the number one focus in that state. And I was a tourism professional and did really well financially for a while. So whenever I was in Moab, it it became very, you know, I mean, it's a tourism town. So naturally I just went and was slinging some drinks and some slop and met this guy and became a backcountry guy. Now, when people ask me what I do, I generally say the least amount possible. I don't really think, and you don't get those kind of questions in the Southwest, kind of like you do back East. But if I was going to tell anybody what my profession is now, it's backcountry guiding. That's where my passion's at. I didn't know that I was going to take to it as much as I did. Uh, what it did allow me to do was just to get out there in the outdoors and experience that every day. You know, you get asked very common questions that put me on to the geology aspect of Moab. But it, it is a geological wonder. It had been an inland sea about 112 million years ago. That sea has filled and evaporated a total of 29 times. When it evaporates, it leaves a layer of salt about 7,500 feet thick. The fresh water brought in all the rock that the monuments and structures are made out of that are eroding, that are making the arches that we're famous for from the fins. Uh, the fins is what makes us unique, that we're the highest concentration of sandstone fins in the world. The only other place that's even close is Jordan. But, you know, I don't see myself going to Jordan anytime soon. So, yeah, becoming a backcountry guide changed the trajectory of my life. And I never would have thought so. It was almost kind of a, sure, man, I'll do this, help you out while you're out of town. Well, the first year, it was a success. It's been a success every year because, you know, we're actually getting paid to go and do what we love most in the world, which is hike. But the first year, numbers did pretty good. I learned a lot. I knew that I needed to step my game up. I'd get asked questions about things that I didn't, so that would make me go and do the research. I learned a whole bunch. And more than anything, I just found it to be rewarding, you know, getting up early, meeting the folks. The Fiery Furnace is what we built the uh, business on. That is no longer allowed to be guided by a commercial 
guide starting at the beginning of 2017. That's sort of when I started my, another thing that's changed the trajectory of my life is live streaming. Matt discovered live streaming a couple years ago through um, his music. And whenever we were told that we weren't going to be able to guide the fiery furnace anymore, which was 98% of our business, if not a little bit more than that, it was pretty much all our business. We did a few other hikes and were open to many things. But that was the number one and hike that we did. I wound up doing the fiery furnace. I've been through a little bit over 400 times. I got to about 380 professionally. So I started looking for ways to market the company and with having no money to invest, went free. New Mac was into live streaming, so started live streaming on Periscope. That has taken on a life of itself. That has been another extension to the guiding is it's very, very easy here in Moab because it's such stunning landscape that I can just hold the phone up and show it and it's intriguing to people. But through my years of experience being a professional backcountry guide and the knowledge that I've learned since doing that, I'm able to answer the questions that people have. So it's, like I said, becoming a backcountry guide, I didn't know how rewarding it was going to be. Well, it's the same thing with the live streaming. I'm still a backcountry guide, but now I have an audience of people all over the world and starting to receive tens of thousands of live views. Um, uh, one thing I have learned with that, it's, it is a numbers game in a sense, but it's not so many, how many massive numbers you have. It's how many of the, in that massive number of very cool and interested people are you going to connect with and have come back time and time again, which is, that was another surprise with the live streaming is just how amazing it's been to meet so many people from all over the world that I now consider friends. I've had one Periscope meetup with a gentleman named Blaine down in southwestern Utah who is um, – he's an outdoor professional as well, but he works for the Bureau of Land Management. A different sense, he's a biologist, a uh, great guy. You know, you couldn't ask for a nicer individual. I'm going to try and have him on the podcast and do an interview. But, yeah, it turns out he and I are the number one Utah broadcasters, which is I never – went for anything like that. There's going to be more. There's more out there now. I've met several people from around the state of Utah that are also on there. And so, yeah, we want the podcast to be an extension of that. And, you know, it is not to be egocentric or anything like that, but it's my podcast and I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about. I just want this to be an extension where I can talk about the healing aspects of the outdoors. I am not your typical outdoor professional in the sense that this probably never would have happened if I hadn't have been in a car accident and broke my neck in four places in 2006. I was told I would most likely never walk again. I didn't know it until after the surgery. My parents were told that I might not even survive the surgery. I broke cervical spine vertebrae one and two and half, which are now fused together. I shattered C6 and seven into the spinal cord, which are now had to be, the bone fragments had to be picked out of the spinal cord. And that's where the danger was. They thought when they were removing the bone fragments that it was going to hit a nerve that was in that area that controls breathing and heart rate. So it was a very dire situation that I wasn't quite even aware of whenever I went into the surgery. 
I laid in a bed for about three days for the swelling to go down before they could perform the surgery. Um, I never lost feeling in my feet. I was so critically injured that they wouldn't even touch me. The uh, neck brace was on sideways, but they got that first neck brace on me and they weren't going to touch me until the swelling went down. They didn't know if they shifted or moved me, if it was going to, if it was going to kill me, that I was so critically damaged that just a bone fragment going into the right nerve could have ended it all right then and there. Long story short, as far as that goes, I did survive. It took me about a year and a half before I was confident walking downstairs. Walking upstairs was one thing because if you fall going up, you just fall down. Walking down the stairs, I would sometimes take a step and either the left or the right foot wouldn't go down. It would go to the side either or and it was it was it was touch and go for quite a long time so after about a year and a half I went back to work whenever I'd gotten in the accident a lot of people questioned because it was a physically demanding job you know running a restaurant especially one that did the kind of numbers the place that I was at very very physically demanding you've got to be running from restaurant to restaurant we had multiple units and you've got to be running the whole time you know that so that was my main focus was to get my life back so yeah I'm living on a golf course that I cannot even play the sport anymore um, I'm working 90 to 100 hours a week and that is no exaggeration um, what was required was 60 and I don't think there was a single week I ever worked for that particular corporation that I didn't work well into the average week was about 75 to 80 hours and that's just how it has to be I mean whenever you're the guy that's making all the decisions and everybody comes to you the trick is to have good shoulders to stand on and I always did and let those people do it but you've got to be there you can't do it from home you know and working in that industry if your daughter has a dance recital well you're not going uh the holidays you're not with your family so after that, and after the challenge of getting my life back, once I got all that back, I was still just not fulfilled and did, wasn't in good shape. I was probably about 60 pounds heavier than I am now. I am just miserable, and it started coming out in many, many different ways. Well, I had a young daughter at the time who... Um, Without going into too much, I'd been a single father for a number of years, um, and she was becoming a young lady, and she went and lived with her aunt. Her mother had passed away a number of years ago when she was eight years old, so she had been my main focus. Well, she went to go live with an aunt, and I found myself with time. 2008, the, as we all know, the financial crisis happened. So I was working, you know, those 90, 100 hour weeks. All of a sudden I had to lay off all my staff. A lot of my staff was going to be making less money because most of my money was made on a bonus system. And it's like, well, it's even out of my control. I can work as hard as I want to. And then something can still tank and do it. So I went in and had a food truck and long story short, what just to lead it up to the place that brought me out west, I had a business for a while. We did really well. Solved the business because the partner and I had grown up together. And sometimes whenever you mix friendship and business, it doesn't always work. And we were being successful. We have no doubt would have been successful. But in the beginning, after having that little bit of success, we both parted ways. But I found myself with plenty of time on my hands. My daughter was where she needed to be and she was happy. So I attempted a cross-country hike. 
Did go as planned, as most things don't. I spent a couple weeks in preparation, preparing what I was going to do, where I was going to go. Where it all comes from is I met a gentleman named Claude Ashen Thomas, who was a Zen Buddhist monk. In 2002, he practiced a form of Tibetan meditation, which is a walking meditation. He's walked across the United States. He's probably lost count of how many times. He's walked from... Poland to Vietnam, which is about the span of Russia, um, to just say lightly, this is what he does, is he'll sets out with his robes, his beads, and a begging bowl. As a monk, he took a vow of poverty and just sets out and walks. People pay him for this and sponsor him, and he does a lot of good in the world. I had studied or attempted to study, was interested in doing a novice ship. But um, at the end of the day, I don't think it's about aestheticism. I think it's about a personal um, commitment to yourself. Enlightenment is found within that old story. If you meet the Buddha in the middle of the road, kill him. I found to be true. But yeah, so here I am. Plenty of time on my hands. All, something I always wanted to do was walk from one side of the country to the other. So I set out and did it. Walked, caught a few rides, hitchhiked some, stayed with a friend in Oklahoma for a couple of weeks, found many, many places to be very, very beautiful. Whenever I would find a very beautiful place, I would generally stay a little bit longer. When I, when I came into town, I did stay in hotels. I didn't camp the whole time. I would definitely buy myself food. It wasn't, I didn't take that aesthetic style of doing it, but I knew that if I didn't take that chance and do it then, I was never going to do it. I always intended to go back to Florida and eventually go back to work doing what I did, but that's not what happened at all. I landed in Boulder, Colorado on April 20th, I believe 2011, 2012. I didn't write any of the dates down. It's a little bit scratchy now. But wound up staying there for over a year. Met a good friend that's still friends today. Burton Dibble goes by Bert. Worked as an arborist at his business. My intention was to rest up in Boulder for a while. I'd heard about Boulder. What a cool place it was and I always wanted to see it. So I thought I would set myself up there. And once I arrived at Boulder on April 20th, the intention was to rest up for about six months and work as an arborist, save a little bit of money, get a place to stay, have something to come back to. And I was going to ride a bicycle from Boulder to San Francisco. Well, immediately working for Bert as an arborist, I had gotten climbing big cottonwood trees every day. I tore my meniscus, which took me off the road. I thought it was going to pretty much end there. Stayed in Boulder for a little while. And after a few months of there, I was having to make the decision, you know, what am I going to do? I didn't know if I should, I didn't want to get off the road yet. I was really enjoying uh, riding still and just soaking up Boulder. Didn't really want to stay in Boulder either. It's a beautiful place, but I didn't come to live in a city. I came for the outdoors and to experience the outdoors, which I was doing there. Had an um, injured leg, so I couldn't do the bicycle trip thought, well, maybe it's time that I start thinking about going back to Florida and going back to work. This has been a great trip. But I met a young lady online who today is my wife from Moab, Utah, that I'd heard of this place, Moab, before from my friend Bert, other people. Met this young lady, um, took an interest in her, thought I'd come visit. I did. Came and it was just an amazing place. It was in the middle of winter at the time, probably very, probably late January. 
uh, when I saw, which can have very, very brutal, brutally cold and icy winters in Moab. We're not having any of the last couple of years, but that year it was sub-zero freezing temperatures and lots of ice and snow and didn't get out. But, you know, just standing in Moab and looking at the cliffs, it's a very intriguing place. Um, but fell in love with her. She is now my wife today. We will be celebrating our fifth wedding anniversary in 2018. But long story short there, went home, grabbed all my stuff, and came back. And uh, we had a courtship for maybe a few months before we were married. It was very, very short courtship. I don't think anybody's more surprised than we are that we're still together five years later. And the intention I'll be with her until one of us is gone anyway which hopefully it'll be me first. I can't imagine life without her. But that is the story of what brought me to Moab. Now, the living in Moab is a different story. Moab is a very, very interesting place. It's basically a mining camp. Moab's a little over 100 years old. Very, very new town. Um, but Utah's like that. Utah hasn't really been around. It was just a territory for a long time. And being from the southeast and being from a very old part of the country, which... We're a new country still. It's been kind of interesting. So it was just sort of a farming community and not many people here until Charlie Steen made his big uranium discovery in the early 50s. And then it swelled to about 12,000 people, I think was the 10 to 12,000 people was the peak. Today, it's a town of about five and a half thousand people that gets about 3.4 million visitors a year to Arches Canyonlands in the area. We're on the big circle for the Mighty Five Tour, which is the five uh, national parks that are within Utah. And the tourist industry is booming. The local economy flourishes. Um, a small number of people are getting rich off of it. The rest of us are just trying to get by. It has very, very stagnant wages in a lot of ways. I had wanted to be a tour guide when I got here, but when I went and filled out the applications and they told me they pay you about eight bucks an hour plus tips, which would work out to being $60, $70 a day, uh, I never went for it. And that's where Matt came in when I met Mac and he started the company. He actually pays a living wage. It's more of a partnership between us now. He does own the company, but he is taking more of the administrative role. I'm more into living my life than I am making a dollar and... Don't get me wrong, if you give me a choice of with or without money, I'm going to take with money every time. Uh, I do, I'm not some sort of socialist or anything. I'm absolutely a capitalist, born on the 4th of July, red-blooded American as far as that goes. But um, for me, the focus is just my quality of life and not how much money. And I live a very good life. I sweat the bills like most people do, but that's just also part of the American experience now. Um, being working class, which is no problem from a long, long, long line of working class. So yeah, that is the story as to how I came to Moab. Now, what we do now, I don't know the exact numbers, but I at this point have taken probably into the thousands of people on hiking trails, mostly short hikes. I'm definitely up for the bigger hikes. And in my personal life, I do Really big hikes, you know, 20 to 30 miles is not unheard of in a day, but normally just the smaller sites that people want to see while they're in Moab. Being on the Mighty Five Tour, most people come into the town 
and they want to see arches, they want to see canyon lands, do their time with us and then be on their way and go see the next spot, which is just fine. I know those well. It does get a little bit redundant. It still beats working in an office or working in a restaurant any day. So I'll take that. In my personal time, and that's generally how it works, I do the bigger hikes in the area. Um, you know, that's when I do the technical hiking, hiking up to the rims and getting on top of the mesas and hiking to the base of the desert towers and all that good stuff and a lot of backcountry stuff. And that's where my goals lie. For this year, what I got coming up, I'm not really sure. I'm going to get down to needles a few times. Of course, bear's ears I'm going to get to. Started branching out and learning a bit more about southwestern Utah, which we're also considering maybe living down there part of the year. Definitely going to be getting over to southern Colorado where my friend Adam is and hiking a couple 14ers. I'm more into desert trail hiking than I am summit hiking, but definitely want to get into that. I uh, want to get my mountain bike going back again and do some more trail riding. That's when I first got to town, and I did leave that part out, and I'll open that back up before Max started. I guess it was my second year in town he had started the guide company when I came on as lead guide, and you know, the first couple of years I was definitely learning going to our fourth season now. I feel like I'm hitting a pretty good stride, but I know I still got a whole lot to learn. Um, I have definitely got my skill level up to enough where I feel safe, I've, I've felt safe taking people out and could be trusted with people since the very beginning. But now I feel confident in my abilities and knowledge of backcountry hiking to self-rescue that I, I'll, I'll take on anything. Um, and not worried about that. Going to continue to push that out more. But what got me in the best way that I saw getting into the backcountry, you know, when you come in and you're working class and it's, it was more of a staycation when I first arrived was I immediately bought a mountain bike. It's a, Moab is a mountain bike mecca. Porcupine Rim, the whole enchilada, Slick Rock Bike Trail, and then we have hundreds of other trails in the area. But mountain biking is a great, great, if you can ride a bicycle, you can mountain bike. And it's a great way to tour the backcountry of the area because, you know, you can get out there. And the great thing about Moab is we get very, very crowded in town with the tourism, but we're such a massive area. Even in the middle of season, there's enough space for everybody if you want to go deep enough that you're going to – I enjoy solo hiking. I enjoy solo mountain biking. Um, I enjoy hiking with groups as well. I do not like riding a mountain bike with other people. Because sometimes those people have expectations of you riding with them and sitting and chatting. That's not why I go to the outdoors. I go to the outdoors for myself and to feel a part of the outdoors. Mountain biking enabled me to do that. And it. I got out and saw a lot of the area. I would just read about a trail with different uh, trail reports and information. And I would just go do that trail. And all over Utah, I've done that. I just go down to southwest Utah, look up what are the best mountain bike trails in the area, say goodbye to my wife, and go mountain bike all day. And that really, really got me into the outdoors. I got so busy the last few years with the uh, tour company, haven't been able to mountain bike as much. So this year, I do intend to get the mountain bike back out and start riding it some more. Continue with the live streaming on Periscope. Hopefully, some of you guys that I've met, I've met a handful of really, really good people that were definitely supporting each other in the Periscope world. I'm going to ask several of you guys to listen to this. And if you made it this far, thank you so much. And you know who you are. But yeah, so thank you very much for listening. Going to be coming next week. I want to sit down and have my first guest. 
I'm probably going to do some more solo ramblings. Hopefully this will evolve as it goes along. Um, we're going to let it happen naturally. It's going to be something we're going to give a year no matter what happens. Hopefully it'll turn into something else. But if not, I'm going to have a year of talking to a microphone. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be coming at you next week. This will be airing at the beginning of the week, and we'll probably keep that pace. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the High and Mighty Hikes podcast. Check out my website, highandmightyhikes.com. There you'll find links to follow me on social media. You can read the High and Mighty Hikes blog and also subscribe to this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the High and Mighty Hikes on YouTube for bi-weekly videos featuring my latest hiking adventures, outdoor gear, product reviews, and loads of useful hiking tips and tricks. Also, follow High and Mighty Hikes on Periscope. I broadcast from all over southeastern Utah on a daily basis. Thanks for listening. And tune in next week for my first interview on the High and Mighty Hikes podcast. I'll be interviewing Mac Lloyd, who introduced me to the world of live streaming, and he owns Hike Moab. See you then. Hi, Mighty Hikes podcast is brought to you by Hike Moab. If you're coming through the Moab area, give us a call at 970-325-3646. We specialize in hiking tours throughout Arches and Canyonlands National Park in the Moab area. You can also look us up at HighMightyHikes.com. Click on the Tours tab. We will gladly create a personalized hike for you that will complete your Moab experience. Mention this podcast and receive 10% off your first tour.